My son Aaron was five or six when he began asking me the question. So explains Erwin McManus. The question he asked, he writes, Dad, what does God's voice sound like? He says, I didn't know how to answer. A few years later, Aaron went off on his first junior high camp. And in the middle of the week, I went up to see our kids. Aaron, I learned, had started to beat up another kid, but he had been held back by his friends. He was unrepentant. He wanted to leave the camp. He pulled together all of his stuff and he shoved it into the car. I asked him for a last talk with me before we drove away. We sat on two large rocks in the middle of the woods. Aaron, I asked, is there any voice inside of you telling you what you should do? Yes, he nodded. What's the voice telling you? That I should stay and work it out. Can you identify the voice? Yes, he said immediately. It's God. It was the moment I'd waited for. Aaron, I said, do you realize what just happened? You heard God's voice. He spoke to you from within your soul. Forget everything else that's happened. God spoke to you, and you were able to recognize him. I'll never forget Aaron's dug-in response. Well, I'm still not doing what God said. I explained to him that that was his choice, but that this is what would happen if he rejected the voice of God coming from deep within his conscience and chose instead to disobey God's guidance, his heart would become hardened and his ears would become dull. If he continued on this path, there would be a day when he would never again hear the voice of God. There would come a day when he would deny that God even speaks or has spoken to him. But if he treasures God's voice, however it comes to him, through the scriptures, through his scripture-shaped conscience, and, and responds to him in obedience, then his heart would be softened and his ears would always be able to hear God's word alive inside of him. Aaron chose to stay. If he had chosen differently, he would have begun a path toward nominal Christianity. Perhaps he never would have rejected the faith overtly. He might have even chosen to be a faithful church attender. And his ear, but, 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 but in God's eyes, even if to the church he looked like an upright Christian following Jesus, sensitive to God, even if he looked like a good man, he would no longer be a close Jesus follower. What about you? What does it mean to listen to God? It means more than just hearing his words. In Deuteronomy, God had spoken through Moses to, to us, God's people, stressing this need to listen. And in the first chapter of Deuteronomy, we read, So I spoke to you, and you would not listen. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord. What's it mean to listen? What's it mean to listen to God? We're going to read a familiar passage. Uh, it's right after the birth narrative of Jesus. It's Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. This is God's gospel according to Luke. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. We see here one of the very first responses to the proclamation of Jesus Christ as Savior. It's a lowly group of shepherds. They're out in the fields. They're not educated. These are just shepherds. And they listened to God's message. They listened to what God communicated to them through the angels. When God speaks to us, when Jesus Christ is declared to us as Savior, what's it look like for us to truly listen to God? Listening to God, first of all, means seeking out Jesus. Uh, that's what the shepherd's first thought was. I mean, here, these angels appear to tell them all this amazing stuff, and the first thing they say is, let's go to Bethlehem to see this thing that happened, which the Lord has told us about. There wasn't an argument. They didn't set up a committee to investigate a vacation to Bethlehem. They didn't, you know, call the presbytery and get their opinion on it. They didn't debate it. They, they were, there were no two sides to it. They were like, let's go. They're all saying it to each other. Let's go. Let's go find Jesus. The sheep will still be here in the morning, and we're shepherds. We can go after the ones that get lost. We have to go see Jesus now. And it says, they hurried off. Do you hurry to seek out Jesus? Do you hurry when he speaks? When he presents himself to us every day in his word and the scriptures that he's breathed out to nourish our souls, to be the milk which we can drink to keep us alive and help us grow. When he shows himself to us throughout our lives. You know, St. Paul in Colossians 3 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. What's it mean? For the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. That means the word of God, the scriptures, as seen through Christ, who is what the scriptures are all about. Um, next Sunday, 9.30 in the auditorium, we're going to talk about that, just so you know. It's not a plug. That's a plug. It's a shameless plug. But because I want you to see that every single passage of scripture is ultimately about Jesus and his grace and what it means to live in that grace alive to God as those who listen, who let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom. 
What's your devotional life look like outside of Sunday? I remember once somebody asked me to assign him. It was at a class at Covenant Seminary preaching class, and he said, um, I want you to give me a really challenging topic to preach. I gave him two choices, and one of them was to go tell a whole bunch of hipster Christians in their 20s and 30s to have daily devotions where they read their Bible and pray. He chose the other one. Um, what does it look like? Are you listening to God? Are you putting yourself under his word? Uh, whether that's every morning in a quiet time or whatever you want to call it, or whether that's in the evening, or whether that's some people don't do well with one little chapter at a time. Some people like to wait a week and then wrote, read an entire book of the Bible in an afternoon. Uh, you know, but what's it mean? Whether it's, it's listening to, to, to sermons online, studying theology books, are you listening to God? He is speaking in his word just as surely as he spoke to those shepherds. The second Helvetic uh, confession of the, the, the French Reformation said the word of God preached is the word of God. Because the word of God, when it comes alive inside of us, the Holy Spirit is speaking to us. Jesus, by his spirit, is speaking to us. I remember one friend of mine who, um, he had always been a Christian. He raised a Christian and, and walked with God and and gave money and did all the things Christians are supposed to do. But then I remember when he started a practice, every morning he would read three chapters of the Bible, one Old Testament, one New Testament. Maybe it was one, maybe it was one Old Testament, one Gospel, and a Psalm. I can't remember exactly. But I remember watching him fall in love with Jesus. He just got to the point where he just loves Jesus, and he loves his word. Because he's learned to see that scripture is not a list of rules that we jump through in order to get God to bless us. It's a love letter from our Father that tells a story of redemption in which by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we have been caught up in it. You know, are you listening? A.W. Tozer says, where God and man are in relationship, this must be the ideal. God must be the communicator, and we must be in the listening, obeying attitude. He says, if men and women are not willing to assume this listening attitude, there will be no meeting with God in living personal experience. You see, it's easy, particularly in Reformed circles, for us to think of Christianity in a strictly propositionalized kind of way, meaning that Christianity is a list of doctrinal statements and a list of commands, a doctrine and ethics. And yet what's missing in that is who? Jesus. You know, Jesus said, he rebuked the Pharisees for their Bible study, saying, you, you diligently search the scriptures because you think by them you possess eternal life, but those are the scriptures that testify about me. Are you listening? Because they, they didn't, the shepherds didn't just begin to listen. They sought out Jesus and they kept looking until they found him. We read that they found Mary and Joseph and the baby and seeking Jesus, seeking his face. It, for, for the believer, it's a lifetime calling. You don't begin seeking God until your conversion. And it's a lifetime calling to seek out his face, to seek Jesus, to seek his voice. Jesus says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. That's a relationship that is unique between you as his church and Jesus, and between you as a believer and Jesus. 
I remember reading a story about a, a, a man, a, a journalist who visited a shepherd. Because there are actually people who, you know, in New Zealand and stuff who actually raise sheep. And, uh, and so he was visiting the shepherd, and uh, they walked up to the, the pen that the sheep were in, and it was time to let them out to graze on the hillsides. And, then, and the, the shepherd said, why don't you do it? Open up the gate and say, come on, sheep, come on, let's go eat. The journalist was like, okay, I mean, they're probably hungry sheep. So he opened the gate. And he said, all right, sheep, come on, let's go eat. And the sheep just, just stayed where they were, did nothing. Then the shepherd said, come on, sheep, let's go eat. And every sheep ran through the pen out into the fields. And the shepherd turned around to the journalist and said, my sheep know my voice. Do you know Jesus' voice? Can you distinguish when God is speaking to your conscience by his Holy Spirit, illuminating his word in your heart? Can you distinguish the voice of Jesus from the, from the voice of your own sinful desires? or the voice that the world is pumping out, telling you how to live and what to value and how, what to believe? Do you hear the word of Jesus? Do you seek it? Listening to God means seeking out Jesus, mediator between God and man, and doing it continually. And what that draws out of in our heart is worship. It's what happened to these shepherds. When they, when they had seen Jesus, it said, the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You know, is your heart aflame with passion for God? Do you, do you love Jesus? I remember one professor at seminary, a German guy who grew up in a, 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 a German Lutheran church in, in Germany, and, uh, and I remember him saying that, you know, as a young man, if you had asked me, do you believe that Christians are justified by faith alone, I would have said absolutely. If you asked me, do you love Jesus, I would have not had any idea how to respond. Do you love Jesus? Do you have a heart of worship? Are you seeking him and savoring him and delighting in him and proclaiming his praise? Is it in your heart? Is it on your lips? Or is it just mouthing it? Because listening to God means seeking out Jesus through whom we hear God. Listening to God also means telling others about what you've seen. Did you notice these shepherds? They were the first Christian missionaries. We read, when they had seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. You know, you can imagine shepherds going to all the other shepherds. They live in villages, going to their villages, saying, you, the Savior has been born. It's this baby named Jesus. He's, he's in Bethlehem. You know, they're, they're already on mission. They're already serving Christ. Just because of what little bit they've seen, they're going to tell everybody in the world what little they've heard. It's like getting up every day, reporting for duty. Here I am, Lord, on mission. Give me my commands and I will do whatever you say. Living in service to the saving work of God. I hear you, Jesus, and you are the one I serve. That's what it meant for a bunch of sheep herders to listen to God. And their story had an impact. You know, all who heard it, we read, were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. I think sometimes... In our kind of post-Christian culture, we can be very cynical and just assume that nobody wants to hear about Jesus. Just assume that, that, that it's better just not to say anything. We can be afraid. We can be cowardly. I can be cowardly. But, but 
But to listen means to share what you've learned. Uh, does it mean everybody's going to listen to you? No. Does it mean that everybody's going to respond? No. But, but even then, with such unimpressive material as these shepherds, uneducated, not well-spoken, not culturally influential, with no social media platform at all, the message about Jesus was going out, and already people were marveling at the newborn Savior, Jesus. How much more should we, this side of Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, who is able to change the heart, the same Spirit through whom Jesus performed miracles is in us. How much more should we expect that God's Word will have an impact over time in the lives of the people around us? It's, it's that great missionary mandate that Jesus gave at the end of Matthew's Gospel. We call it the, the Great Commission to, 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 to go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. That one thing we're supposed to do is tell others about Jesus and disciple them. Um, and yet with that great missionary mandate was also the great missionary presence, that promise that Jesus says, and I will be with you every step of the way. You, you're never going to have a conversation where it's just you and the other person. It's always you, the other person, and Jesus because he's alive. He's at large. Does the gospel excite you? Does Jesus capture your heart? How I long to see us unwilling to focus on just getting by, to see us undistracted by the world in love with Jesus and joyfully sharing what we do know, even if we don't know any more than those shepherds. What are the things that keep us from being public about our relationship with Jesus? Is it fear? People will reject you. People will hate you. It'll damage your career. Is it the cost that you are afraid that you might have to pay damaged friendships and relationships? Is it some other risk? You know, God has the power to make an impact. Um, all you have to do is testify to what you've seen, to what you've heard, to what you've experienced. Uh, you know, uh, you can just mention Jesus and drop it and move on and see if they pick it up. You know, it doesn't have to be you forcing conversations on other people. That's never appropriate. But, you know, imagine, for example, that you are really pumped about a promotion at work, but you don't get it, somebody else gets it. And all your coworkers are commiserating with you. It's so sad, it's so unfair. And, and, and what can you do but say, you know, I serve Jesus in my calling. Wherever he wants me to be, that's where I want to be. And then you drop it. And then somebody might come up to you afterwards and say, tell me more about that. But, you know, you're not shoving something down anybody's throat. Or someone drops a ball on a project at work and it totally impacts you and makes you look horrible. And they're coming to you, tail between their legs, I'm so sorry. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> Jesus forgives me bigger sins every day and I rely on him to do that. He does it a lot. There's no way I'm in a position to judge you for it. We're okay. You've just preached the gospel in the most unoffensive, non-threatening way possible just by being a public Christian. Your coworker is awaiting medical test results. They're really anxious. Hey, how are you doing? Are you worried? Um, you know, I follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? They're not going to take offense. Current events leave somebody possibly not feeling safe, whether it's anti-Asian violence, racial injustice, or a friend who works in public safety who's getting all the heat, you know, pick up the phone. Call them. 
hey, you know, I'm guessing you're probably going through a hard time. Do you need to process it? You know, I'm, you know I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? Or you were a total jerk to your wife right before she left for work. And you show up at her office on your lunch break with Thai food and a box of chocolates and flowers and say, I was such a jerk. I am so sorry. Will you please forgive me? And you forgive. And all her coworkers are just watching the difference the gospel makes in a marriage. They're seeing it works, and Jesus is being praised. There are non-threatening ways to talk about God. You know, you don't have to get results. That's God's job, way above your pay grade. You're just opening the door if anybody wants to walk in, and God is at work, and some will walk in. They'll start to see you as a follower of Jesus. They'll start to notice and evaluate how you rely on the gospel as a resource to help you live and love well. They'll see how you listen to God. We read that these shepherds spread the word concerning what had been told them, and all who heard it were amazed. To listen to God is to tell other people what you're learning. If Jesus captures your heart, it's hard not to talk about him. I mean, you see a really amazing movie, and what do you want to do with all your friends is tell them about it. Because it's amazing. You go on vacation, and the view from your villa is stunning. And what do you want to do? Post it on Facebook. Tell people about it. Why? Because there's something about beauty. There's something about hope. There's something about goodness that makes you want to complete the circle by sharing it with another. You find a new diet. It's easy. You lose 20 pounds. What are you going to tell everybody about? You're going to be talking about that diet a lot. There's something about it that gives us hope. And these shepherds, they listened and they completed the circle by then sharing what they had heard with others because they're, they're listening. But there's one other in the room at this point with the shepherds who's also been listening to what the shepherds say. Her name's Mary. And we learn something from her about what it means to listen to God as well. It means running to Jesus it means sharing what you're learning about Jesus. But listening also means savoring his words continually. We read that Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. What does that mean? To ponder God's words in your heart. You know, for me, there was a time in which reading my Bible every day was a chore. There's a time as a young Christian when it was a delight. And then I went to seminary and it completely killed it, strangely, because reading the Bible suddenly became a performance treadmill. I'm getting graded on this. And it took a lot of years after seminary to get back into the pattern of just opening God's word every day and letting it speak to me. And I want you to know, like, getting up in the morning and, and feeding my cats and, and making my coffee and going back to bed and opening up and reading a chapter of the Bible is the most life-giving experience of my week um, because God's word is his message of grace. I'm, I mean, even Deuteronomy, even Numbers. I mean, it's just amazing how God has, how, how I've learned to, to, to listen as God speaks and, and meet with him in that way, to ponder it in your heart. There are other possibilities. It could be 
Bible memory verses that you do, songs that you sing that are Bible verses. It could be reading through a, a book of the Bible. It could be listening to the scripture. It could be a Bible study. It could be an online resource. There are a million ways. I remember once when, when I had become very convicted about my driving habits because I, was lear I learned to drive. My first driving lesson was driving the entire U.S. Capitol Beltway in the middle of the afternoon. Um, I learned aggressive driving techniques um, and then moved to St. Louis and everybody was too slow, especially in the left lane. I just wasn't used to it. You know, I, but, but God really convicted me that I was angry a lot when I was driving. I was judging people a lot. I was saying things while I was driving that were not loving. I was hoping that the windows were up when I was driving because I might actually injure another human being made in God's image. And so, I, and, and as I looked into my heart, I saw that, it, that at the heart level, I was judging other drivers for not driving the way that I thought that they should be driving and therefore making me late. Um, and so I took a passage from the end of Romans and wrote it down on a card. Who are you to judge another man's servant? It is to his own master that he will stand or fall, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. And for six months, that was taped right behind my steering wheel. And every time I'd start to get frustrated, who are you to judge another man's servant? It is to his own master that he will stand or fall, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. Did it work 100%? No. Did it help me really memorize that verse? Yes. And, uh, and I have to say, it did have an impact because God's word is alive. Listening to God means savoring it, uh, you know, you know, pondering it in our hearts. Um, it means treasuring God's word. What does it look like to treasure something? Mary treasured these words in her heart. To treasure God's word is to give it the supreme decision-making place in your heart. God hasn't signed up to be anybody's personal assistant. You know, James says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. If you're really listening, you're going to treasure it. And because you treasure it, you're going to value it. And it's going to be more important than whatever our indwelling sin is telling us that we need more. Because in treasuring what God tells us, what are we really treasuring? Think about it. Some of you have been in love. You knew what that was like, where every word he said was just so amazing. I know that didn't last, but you were savoring it. Looking at your phone, did she text me? Has she said anything? What's he thinking right now? I wonder where he is right now. He hasn't called. Because you're savoring their word. Because really what you're treasuring is them. And in treasuring God's word, what we're really treasuring is the God whose words we're hearing. And we can do that, friends, because God treasures you. Three times in Deuteronomy, we read, The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Three times. Treasured possession. Treasured possession. You, the Lord says, are my treasured possession. What is God's treasure? But you are. You know, picture a child 
on Christmas morning, walking down the stairwell, and he sees the, the tree lit up, and he sees the new train that's suddenly going around under it, and all of these packages, and all of these goodies, and baked goods, and chocolate, and stuffing, you know, you, you, you know, stockings overflowing with goodies, and as he walks down, his eyes are getting bigger, and bigger, and bigger, and bigger. That is God's eyes when he looks upon you, because you are his treasure. That's how God sees us, united to Jesus by faith, as ones loved and treasured enough that he would give up everything in order to get the one thing he wanted most, which is you. It was treasuring you that drove Jesus to the cross. He wasn't willing to spend eternity without you who belong to him. Today we read in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Christ Jesus, the Savior who came, who lived, who died, who rose to bring us on board as his agents in the saving and redemptive mission of God. Jesus, who, who, who speaks his word of life to us that we might listen and might share his word of life with others. This is the God who went to the cross. This is the God with wounds, the wounds of love, a God who treasures you enough to bleed for you so that we might be his people listening to him. Wayne Cordero tells a story about a church member named Bully. It was a gentle guy who um, got his nickname from, from days of barking orders at construction sites, but Cordero noticed that there were scars all over Bully's hands, uh, deep scars, old scars, and he asked him, Bully, how'd you get so many cuts all over you? And Bully told him this story about the tsunami that hit the big island of Hawaii in the 1960s. Bully said, I was working above the bay that our home overlooks, and one morning the tide receded so much that the children ran out to catch fish in the tide pools that were left behind. We had never witnessed the tide so low before, and it gave the kids an unprecedented opportunity to play and romp through the reefs that now protruded above the waterline like, like, like newly formed islands in the ocean. But what we didn't know was that the ocean was preparing to unleash the largest tsunami our sleepy little town had ever experienced. Within minutes, a 60-foot wave charged our unsuspecting town with a force we'd never seen before. The hungry waters rushed inland like bony fingers. The waters scratched and pulled homes and cars and possessions and people back to a watery grave. The devastating power of that wave left in its wake twisted buildings, shattered windows, splintered homes, broken dreams. I ran as fast as I could to our own home where I found my wife sobbing uncontrollably. Robbie is missing, she shouted. I can't find Robbie. Robbie was our six-month-old child who was asleep in the house when the wave raged against our helpless village. I was frantic as I looked over the shore strewn with remains of the frail stick houses that were now piled in heaps among the sands. Realizing that another wave may soon be following, I began running on top of the wooden structures, tearing up pieces of twisted corrugated roofs that were ripped like discarded remains of a demolition project. I tore up one piece after another, running over boards and broken beams until I heard the whimper of a child under one of the mattresses that had gotten lodged beneath an overturned car. 
I reached under, and I pulled up our little son, Robbie. I tucked him under my arm like a football player running for the end zone, and then I sprinted back over the debris until I reached my wife. We ran for higher ground, hugging our child and one another, thanking God for his mercy. And just then, my wife said, Bully, your feet, your hands, you're covered in blood. I had been wearing tennis shoes, and I didn't realize that as I ran over the wreckage, I was stepping on protruding nails and screws that had been exposed in the rubble. And as I pulled back the torn, corrugated roofing, looking for Robbie, the sharp edges tore into my hands. I was so intent on finding and saving my boy that nothing else mattered. Friends, Jesus went to the cross, whipped, scourged, torn. His hands were covered in blood, his feet covered in blood, but those were the wounds of love because he was not willing to go to heaven without you. Let's pray.